to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White. I'm Hardy White. Join me now, won't you, as we delve into the mysteries of life and try to solve something which cannot be solved using clues that we can't be sure are really clues. They might just be coincidences. And maybe they're not even coinciding. Maybe they're just inciding. Kim Conway is from Willoughby, Ohio, the site of a World War I chemical weapon plant that produced lewisite, an organo-arsenic compound. It was manufactured in the US, Japan, Germany, and the Soviet Union and used as a chemical weapon, acting as a vesicant, that's a blistering agent, and lung irritant. Although the substance is colorless and odorless in its pure form, impure samples of lewisite are a yellow-brown, violet-black, green, or amber-oily liquid with the faint odor of geraniums. Swim like a duck, sink like a wave, think the bay tallest is farthest from a rail station. Near the lighthouse, think a minute, spin around and sing all the spring. Melting away 
If time is a gate, I want to roam, roam and back into a spot. And they rage, and I walk back home, like always. If mine is a fate that I can change, change is not acceptable. And I laughed, but I ended up taking the train anyway. Now look here, Don. That house is rightly mine, and you know it. Well, it was yours. It's mine now. Ooh, this is preposterous. You know what's preposterous? Having a construction lien on your property and losing your title because you were too poor to pay it when you're an heir to a fortune. Well, I'm having some temporary cash flow problems, yes, but those improvements to the property were necessary, and it increased the value of the mansion. It sure did, all right. You're a monster, Don Bourgeoisie. I'm a real estate monster, it's true. I'll get you for this. I'll not let this stand. Ah, oh, cool your jets. What's that guy's problem? Oh, he's a terrible businessman, which is a problem for him, but I love it. What's the news on this place? Any offers? Well, we got a lowball offer from Belinda Blurb. Oh, Belinda. Blurb Steel on hard times? In her defense, that was her father's company. Well, why is she lowballing? She's loaded. Word is she got disowned for threatening to marry Ed Horton of Brooklyn, New York. And uh, Daddy didn't like Ed, huh? Well, apparently not. Well, counter higher than the asking price. Oh, how insulting. <laughs> yes. And Hans, look, no visitors for the next hour. I have some paperwork to do. Roger Wilco, boss. Well, I guess I'll call Belinda on the horn and tell her what's what. Yes, may I speak to Belinda Blurb, please? Miss Blurb, this is Hans Conrad from Don Bourgeoisie's office. Uh, we've received your offer and would like to counter-offer $10,000 over the asking price. Yes, you... You heard correctly. Well, you see, the property is appreciated in just a short time, and we didn't want you to lose your place in line since you already have an offer in. What's that? Oh, well, I'm not sure that's physically possible, Miss Blurb. And, no, and that's not legal. Well... I'm very sorry that you're upset. Oh, well, well, don't threaten us. Hello? Hey, Hans. Mikey, could you come out front and look at something with me? Sure, Mikey, what is it? Look. What am I looking at, a bush? It's a bush, yes, but it was a topiary in the shape of a vase. And now it's back to being a bush. Well, what are you saying? I'm saying someone cut off the top part. Well, you're the gardener, isn't that your department? 
Exactly. So what gives? No clue. Well, I ain't taking the rap for screwing up the topiary. Who would trim a bush unsolicited? I don't know. Maybe somebody was drunk and fell into it, and then broke it, and then got the hedge clippers out and trimmed the broken part, hoping nobody would notice because that person never knew it was his topiary to begin with. Oh, great theory, but I don't think you're the next Detective Spinoza. What was that? It sounded like a shot. Mikey, come with me. Oh, no. No, getting shot is above my pay grade. Coward. I'll go. Mr. Bourgeoisie. Don, are you in there? It's locked. Don? Well, I'll go around to the office window in the back. Where are you going? It's Don. He's not answering the door. I'm going to look through the window. Whoa, you see anything? Oh, Lord. What is it? Call the policeman, Mikey. Mr. Bourgeoisie is dead. Knock, knock, hello. Oh, come in. Are you Mike Smith? No, Mikey is our gardener. He called. I'm Hans Connery. I'm Mr. Bourgeoisie's assistant. Oh, well, I'm Sergeant Register. This is District Attorney Hardy White. District Attorney? Well, we were at lunch. And this is famous smart guy detective Baruch Spinoza. Call me Butchie. So, uh, there's a dead body, your boss? Yes, come with me. Where did you find the body? Well, I didn't really find it. He's still locked in the office. I saw through the window. Well, then, how do you know he's dead? Well, he's slumped over with blood all over him. Well, it's locked. I guess I'll break down the door. Stand back. Oh, geez, that's a good door. It's solid oak. Oh, dang. Stand aside. There. Well done, Spinoza. Subtle trumps gross. Yeah, he looks pretty dead. Did you touch anything? My guy, the door was locked. Oh yeah, right. I don't see a wound. Where's the blood coming from? That's not blood, it's ink. What? It's red ink. It must have spilled when he collapsed. Oh, heart attack. He was in perfect health. When is the last time you saw him alive? Well, we talked about business matters, and then he said he needed to do some work and not to disturb him for at least an hour. What did you do then? Well, I, I made a phone call, and then Mikey called me outside, and that's when we heard the gunshot. Gunshot? What the heck? But there's no bullet wound. Well, may maybe it wasn't a gun. Then what was it? Car backfiring? A car backfires and bourgeoisie ends up dead. Maybe it startled him and he had a weak heart? He did not have a weak heart. <laughs> Man, what is this, a war zone? Mikey! Was that you screaming? Yeah, someone fired a gun again. Did you see who? No, I was trying to even up the bushes when bang, I guess I shrieked. I'll search the grounds. Melville, Collins, come with me. Hardy. Let's take another look at the body. Something didn't look right to me. It's gone. I'm not surprised. Where is he? I'm not sure he was ever dead. I felt his pulse. There wasn't one. He was limp. 
It's possible to have a pulse so faint it can't be detected by touch. I guess. And we couldn't find a wound. I couldn't find anyone, or even footprints. Did you see any clues? What the heck? Where's the victim? Apparently not here. I can see that. So, we might as well pack it in and leave. Leave? But there's been a murder. Has there? We can't be sure he was dead. And that wasn't blood, it was ink. And we don't have a body. I'm not sure this is a crime scene at all. And the gunshots? It's the country. Somebody fired a gun. But where is Mr. Bourgeoisie? How would I know? If he doesn't turn up in a couple days, you can file a missing persons report. That's it? But... I'm sorry, Hans. He's right. Maybe it's a practical joke or something. Oh, you don't know, Don Bourgeoisie. Come on, everybody. Look. He's back in the room. Somebody threw him through the window into the room. That's the damnedest thing. Well, now he looks dead. Now it seems like murder. Where is he? Where is that serpent? Miss, no. Is that... I'm not sure who you're thinking, but if the name is going to be Don Bourgeoisie, it is. This is Don Bourgeoisie, the real estate magnate. Magnet or magnate? And you are? I'm Belinda Blurb. Like Blurb Steel? That's my father. Uh, I'm going to have to ask you to leave the room, since this is an active crime scene. I mean, not super active. It's kind of static now. This is the aftermath of a crime, where we investigate. So, if you don't mind... I'd like to ask you some questions if I could. And you are? I'm Baruch Spinoza, the famous sleuth. Huh. Don wasn't that big a deal, was he? I just happened to be here. Now, did you have business with Mr. Bourgeoisie? I'll say. He was cheating me. Out of what? My house. This house. This is your house? It was, before that devil in there tricked me. Ah, so I guess you sure did hate him. Enough to kill him? Of course enough to kill him, many times over. But I didn't. Where were you an hour ago? Home. In fact, I was on the phone with Mr. Conrad. I was offering to buy my house back from Don at an inflated cost, and he constantly raised the price to taunt me. Sounds like a real charmer. I wasn't the only one he did it to. He tricked many people out of their family estates, houses that had been in some families for generations. So many, many enemies. Countless. Thanks, Miss Blurb. Please leave your number with Detective Register on your way out. I'm sure we'll have more questions as the investigation continues. Tell them thank you. Tell who? The killer, when you find him. He's made my dreams come true. Butchie, can you come here for a minute? Yeah, Hardy. Look at this on the closet door. Red ink. How to get over here. Hmm. I think I know. How? Well, there's a few things I need to test out before I say. Your reputation for deduction precedes you, Mr. Spinoza. You're from Baltimore. What? How in heaven's name would you know that? It's probably your heavy Baltimore accent. There's a postcard on Don's desk from the city of Baltimore, and it says, Great to be back home, and your name is signed to it. Oh, yes. And that postcard says something else, too, doesn't it? Do you remember? It says something like, uh, We are so happy right now. I wish this didn't have to happen. Please reconsider. 
So uh, first, who is we? My companion and I, I brought someone with me to my hometown to meet my family. Someone serious? Sort of. A lady? None of your business. It might be our business, my friend. What is it that you uh, wish didn't happen? Look, I'd rather not. Please reconsider, it says. Reconsider what? All right, all right. I'm engaged to Belinda Blurb. Wow. Boom. I didn't see that one coming. How did Mr. Bourgeoisie feel about that? He was forward at first because he thought it was part of tricking her out of her estate. And, and maybe it was at first. But then I fell in love with her, I tell you. I never thought he'd go through with it after that, after, after I told him that we were going to be married. But he asked if I valued my heart over my job and how it ruined me if I didn't go along with taking her house. I got a lot of questions. Yeah, I got even more, I have a feeling. Yeah, I have a few myself. Listen, Hans, why don't you go to your room and stay there, and we'll get back to you. All right. Is Dr. Bumbats on the way from the coroner's office? Yeah. Let's have him call time of death, and then get that corpse to the morgue as quickly as possible for tests. Sounds good. Lou, ask Hans if there's a gun in the house, and if so, where is it? Good plan. And don't let that gardener go anywhere, got it? And we have a fourth mystery man we need to find. So go through the appointment calendar, or just ask Hans. How do you know? Someone was here smoking Giton cigarettes. And no one in this house smokes that brand. When you match your name to it, let's have a word with him. What are you doing? You're looking at something on the floor. You. Me? No, you. Me? No, you, the tree bush, like out front. A little piece of you. Hey, hey, I want a little piece of you. Very funny, you guys. Why is there a piece of bush inside? The gardener was trimming it. Maybe someone tracked it in. Maybe. His coat, too, though. His coat's on the floor? No, there's you in the coat, too. I can see me in that coat. You are going to like the way you look. Hey, Martin and Alan, can we focus on the murder case? Oh, what's all this show? Got me out of a sound sleep to come down here. Oh, Dr. Bumbats, we need a time of death on this body. The one with the red ink on it? That's the one. Holy moly, you smell like a distillery. Were you sleeping in a vat? I had a couple of belts to wake me up when you called. Well, what's the time of death? In five, four, three, two, one. What time is it? It's 3.14. Time of death, 3.14. He died just now? Yep. He got thrown into a room through a closed window. There was a faint pulse, and now there ain't one. Unbelievable. Any ideas what killed him? I say poison. How can you be sure? The lips. I think his lungs are burned, is my guess. There's a faint smell of geraniums. Later, back in the office. So Hans is lying. How do you know? I interviewed Belinda one more time, and apparently she's still engaged to a guy named Ed Horton of Brooklyn, New York. And not Hans. And not Hans. So why would he say something that makes him look like more of a suspect? Why make yourself look like a suspect? To cover? Maybe he's trying to cover for Belinda. 
or make it look like he's trying to cover by his cover, his own cover. I lost you, Lou. Actually, I think you might be onto something. And I will say this. I think whoever killed Bourgeoisie was still in that room when we got there. Still locked in there and hiding. In the closet. And the ink? He drank the body into the closet after we walked out for a minute. Then how did he get outside and throw the body back in through the windows? All right, now that I don't know yet. Looking through a dead relative's autograph book, and boy, I was having a good time. Now, this relative, when they were young, and this was in the 30s, wrote to opera stars and writers of novels. And so he had all these autographs from opera stars who I was not familiar with, and some novelists who I was just sort of familiar with. And one of the autographs he had was from the detective fiction writer S.S. Van Dyne. Now, he created a character called Philo Vance. Philo Vance used to solve mysteries using his erudition 
his snobbery, his cavalier outlook on life. He was a rich person who was so well-educated and well-traveled that he's just genius. He knew everything. So he could solve crimes, and he was friends with the district attorney who would say, you know, Fido, come with me. And they'd take him with him to work. Because why wouldn't you take a worldly genius? You know, come with me. You're the smartest person on earth. It's like taking Marilyn Voss Savant, say, would you like to come with me to the police station? And she said, what did I do? Nothing. I'm hoping they'd go through some files with you, and you tell me you just solve them for me. So it was that sort of relationship. So S.S. Van Dyne is the pseudonym of this fellow named Wright. His real last name is Wright. And uh, very interesting. And here's a detail I learned. So he created this file of Vance character, wrote a lot of things. In 1929, I assume because of his renown as a writer of crime fiction, he was made the police commissioner of Bradley Beach, New Jersey. Now, I gleaned this from the Wikipedia. Now, I've been to Bradley Beach, New Jersey. It's on the shore. And I had pizza there. Or as my grandmother from Philadelphia would say, I had pizza. So, but I had pizza there. Now, he wasn't there anymore. This was 1929. I did not have the time machine. I was there just with Greg uh, for a marathon. So it was, it was chilly. It wasn't, but it was, you could get in and get the pizza at the, uh, what is it, Sal's. So for just a short period of time, this crime writer, whose qualifications were no more than that, and he was an art critic. So it was even more absurd. And he was an alcoholic and drug addict. So I'm just, I know I'm piling things on. So I don't know how good a police commissioner he made, but I know Elvis had a bat, was in the FBI, or ran the FBI, or something like that. So I don't think it's, un, it doesn't, it's not without precedent that somebody who's a celebrity has made a cop for no reason at all. Uh, Steven Seagal think also. This is a policeman. Oh, is he really? My word. All these people are a lot of things. So it, af, right after that, he moved out west, which was as far as you can get. I think he was like, how far can I get from Bradley Beach? Where they, you know, get him! Probably did a terrible job. I don't know. But that really stopped and made me think. But I started reading the books, you know, and then I started looking at the movies because there's some movies where I think William Powell and it's the same cast as Thin Man, but it ain't Thin Man. It's it's Phyla Vance. And I guess they ripped it off, and they're like, let's just change it. But there's a couple of movies that they made based on the books, and they're wonderful. I think they're wonderful because they're mind, to me they're mindless. And one of the actors sounds like Lou, and so that's good too. So I wanted to do a... One of these movies, one of these mysteries. And so I've really, now you say, well, you didn't get to the end. Well, I'm going to do it episodically. So, but I'll forget what happens or I won't care. Cause, and that's good because I probably won't do the second episode. But I've written it. I know who does, I know why all the clues, it's called fair play. All the clues are real. There's no red herrings or anything. So it all connects. I've given you almost everything you need to solve the mystery. Not quite yet. It must unfold a little more. Oh, I'm so enjoying this. And I'm, I'm drinking a lot and smoking a lot. And these, these detective novels are just pouring out of me. No, I'm kidding. I'm absolutely kidding. But I love to uh, read them.
And at the I just finished one by, and I won't discuss this author yet because I'm saving him. It's another contemporary of S.S. Van Dyne. And at the end of the book, the book was published in 29 or 30, there's a little thing on the back. And I'd say blurb. But not funny. Blurb has an origin. And I'll explain that to you. There was a specific person who coined it. And uh, isn't that amazing? So, um, Burgess. So listen to me. Hear me out. I don't want to change. You're making me change direction. There's a blurb in the back that says something like, you know, gosh, what a working man's best friend, the novel, these great novels. You know, you come home from your drudgery, from your job that you hate, and you can just lose yourself in, in these wonderful books. And you, nothing is required of you. You don't have to move. And you can go to sleep dreaming of it. And you can go to your hellish nightmare job that's slowly killing you the next day, thinking about that book and just getting back to it and living. And this was a real blurb there to sell the books. And I'm, I was thinking, gosh, I guess that's still true, but with television or something. But the uh, it was really the description of the job that was so appalling. You just wonder, you know, how long have been people just thinking, you know, this the life we're living is killing us. Uh, here's something that's a bit of a salve. Can we change? What about changing the way we do things? No, not possible. That's just set in stone. Interesting, isn't it? We have enough imagination for all these novels. You can sit on your couch and you can go anywhere you want, but you just can't make it reality. The human imagination just can't quite extend to the point of creating a, a world where it's, you're not torturing yourself. Isn't it amazing? It's absurd. Once you see the absurdity of things, is that a, a salve? Is it a salve? I, I asked you, Hardy. Listen, let's say you have a wound. Feels good to rub something on it. Well, it depends what it is. No, sometimes you just need to think like you feel like you're doing something. My grandmother, and I've told this many, 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 many times. For those who have listened to me through the years, they know your grandmother rubbed Vicks Vapor Rub on your chest when you had a cold. Yes, I know I've said it, but for me, it's a just as seems like a metaphor for a lot of things, like religion. So the idea was that it would I, I would absorb it, but it felt like she was doing something, you know, and maybe it was the act of, and we know this from things that that uh, why why do placebos work? Because sometimes they have drugs in them by mistake. And, well, is it, is it that? Yeah, I think that's it, probably. But the power of the mind, we don't really know, do we? We know some of it. There's, you can open up a watch and figure out how it works. And you can cut open someone's brains, and I know this from experience, and not know how it works, not figure anything out. It's just a mystery. Can you imagine the first time they, and I think this happened, the first time they cut up in the, the head, they were going, well, it's just got goo in it. It's just got fat. So that's probably not where things are going on. They must go on this complex organism here that's pumping blood throughout the body. Or maybe, you know, you think maybe your liver does the thinking. I have had some, I have some buddies like that. They're no longer with us. The liver did the thinking. And it is possible to outsource your thinking to other organs. But it turns out it is the brain that what you can't see is all that it's pudding, but it's electric pudding. There's things going on in it. And if you have the right glasses, you can see the little sparks in the pudding going on between the um, pieces, the little pearly pieces of uh, 
What do you call that? Tapiocas. I was thinking of... I, I paused because I didn't know if tapioca had a plural or singular. That's a single tapioca. And look, it's in a group of tapioca. Tapiocas? Uh, then I go through all the language plurals. Tapiokim, tapiokot. Those would be the Hebrew plurals. I will not... I will not bore you with my erudition. See, this is why I'm a little like Philo Bances. I am, I am read. I would say well-read. I've read. I've read books. I've read books because of my poor attention span. I jump from one subject to the other. So my knowledge is broad and not deep, but broad enough for trivia games and, and eat like eat weekday um, crosswords. But, you know, I think that is right the sweet spot for solving crimes. Because you don't want to be too smart, I think. And you've seen this from law enforcement. They just, they discourage you from being too smart. They say, no, we're not looking for bright people. We want to solve crimes. And sometimes that just takes willful ignorance. And it does, if you look at classic de detective and everything. Take your Sherlock Holmes, and you can take him because, oh my goodness. No, I've read all the, almost all the Sherlock Holmes. And he was, you know, singular-minded and really blind to a lot of facts. So if the cases had extended to something that involved, let's say, astronomy, he was poorly read in it. And to me, to that, well, you know, why do the planets going around the sun have anything to do with this crime? They may, you doofus. You don't know how things relate to one another. So I think this guy, it's the drugs talking. And I'm known arrogant. My mom is like that. Who it's, you know, that caught me. You go, why? They're so confident and bright. They're also high. So just forget that Sherlock. Let's go Philo. Philo seems, he seems to me to have that, the, the, the bitterness of sobriety, that just that disappointment. I know he probably drinks in the books. I haven't read enough. But, you know, all the rich people do. But I'd love him to just be sober and not smoke and just be cranky. And um, that'd be a better detective. I'm making my detective character because there aren't enough. I looked up and there's a, we're, we topped out at a million now. There's a million detectives. Like, four, like 485,000 lieutenants, somebody's uh, 800,000, uh, no, 1.3 million detective somebody's. Um, it's just endless. It's such a great genre. And what I guess is so good about it is just as good as you are, someone's going to read it and think, I can do that. Isn't that amazing? It's not everything. You don't see brain surgery and think, God, that's so exquisite. I could do that. But for some reason, detective fiction, just any of us would see that and think, I could do that. I could do that. It's a little baby. What's it saying? It's saying, I, I saw your detective novel, and I think I could do that. That's how inspiring it is. Poetry was like that for me when I was in college. I would go to a poetry reading, and you'd think, you'd listen to it, and I need always so inspiring. It made me go write poetry immediately. Because even while I was sitting there, I was thinking, I can do that. And it would give you that confidence Sometimes you'd hear poets and you'd think, I can't do that. And uh, I no, and I don't want to. 
let's see, did I ever think I can't do that? I never will be able to do that. Just that guy with the who would be able to. There was a poet I saw one time who was every other verse he'd lick his ear, and I thought I can't do that. That's not me. I think I should do my own thing. And also a lot of it was in verse. Oh, that's not me. I'm not adverse to the verse. Say, look at me. I must be a father. That's how you know. If you pun a lot, if you don't have any children that you know of, and then you start punning and everything, I'd call old, old, old girlfriends or something. Because you might. I know a lot of people like that. And go, you sure you're not a dad? Or I'll see, you know, you see people and you go, gosh, that looks like a young um, Pete. And you go, oh, crap. Maybe it is a young Pete. You know, you don't know. Um, God bless people. It's complicated. We want everything to be not, you know, messy. That's not how it is. It isn't how it is. There's nothing. All tombstones are lies. And it's not that the dates aren't right or the name isn't right. They're just omission. It's omission. It's not anything. It's, it doesn't tell you anything. So who's in there? Oh, that's, that's Meemaw. That's meaningless. And even if it was a longer story, would it really tell you who's in there? You know, my idea for a long time has been above-ground glass mausoleums with mummified corpses posed in little vignettes and little tableaus that reflect whatever they did in life. So, you know, if you remember your mima standing there ironing in, in, in one of those kind of apron-y things, then that, she ought to be propped up like that, desiccated, standing there doing that for all time, I think. It'd be beautiful. Y'all don't know how exquisite some really ostensibly horrifying memento mori images are. I mean, sometimes they're just really liberating. I remember watching some kind of documentary, and, you know, these people live with uh, in proximity to the remains of their ancestors. Here they are sleeping on the skulls of their great-grandparents. And they were, like, taking a nap using Grandpa's skull as a pillow. And I thought, that's so beautiful, and it, that's kind of intimate. I know that's saying, oh, it's gross. Because we, uh, we come from a culture that everything that reminds us of our humanity or the fact that we're mortal is disgusting to us. So nudity, sex, birth, nursing, and anything that, you know, will remind somebody of pooing, peeing, it, it has to be covered up. You know, the Victorians covered the legs of furniture because it would be, oh, it looks like a human leg. Just crazy stuff. And that we do that with death. People start to die. We want to just remove them. And you could, I believe you could, if you wanted to, you could convince a whole generation that nobody died. They just went to a farm in the country to live because we don't have enough room. That's what it feels like to me. So eager are people to not look it in the eye. So we uh, make it the scariest thing. I mean, if something is always unspoken, it becomes the scariest thing that ever is, isn't it? And I know that my fears are my greatest fears. You know what I'm saying. Um, it's the thing that I dare not think about that's the, the one that causes me the most problems. The things that I face are a little less so. So I know that sometimes I've gotten in bad situations turning away from looking at difficult things in my own life or uh, in art <laughs> even, you know. And art's a wonderful way to do it because it's 
discomfort is better than pain. And sometimes art can give you discomfort where that same thing in reality would give you pain and it's a chance to sort of look at it. And that's why we do like to look, I want to look at it, you want to see a dead body? And we long to sort of look at it right in the face and there's all sorts of art like that of people peering at a skull, you know, and remember you die, written on it. And that, or the skull might say something to you. Say, hey, buddy. I say, hey, skull. Hey, now, um, so we know each other. How's that, skull? So <laughs> we know each other. I don't have my face on, as my mama used to say. I don't have my face on, so you don't mind, uh, recognize me. But we went to school together. I'm Yurik. Yorick! Yes, remember me? But the infinite jest. You were infinitely jesting. I was. Now, what happened? My God, you're just a skull now. Yeah, life. A lot of things happened since we were in school and everything. I have dad and all of that. But listen, enough. We're talking about you, you're a prince. I am. I'm a Danish prince. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Uh, I would, that's, I had a bakery briefly, and I had Danishes shaped like Prince. Well, they weren't shaped like Prince. They were shaped like the symbol, formerly known as Prince, but it was a Danish, the kind of pastry. Now I'm talking to you again. I'm not doing the voices. People, I keep waiting for the other voice, Hardy. I'm sorry. I went back to just talking to you. I've had that with puppets. Did you ever bring... Uh, a puppet somewhere and for a while you're talking to the puppet and then you just forget and you just rest the puppet in your lap while you talk and people go, what's going on there, you know? Uh, I just forgot, I forgot. Because I was using the puppet as a surrogate now, I forgot that I don't have to and then I was just talking and just being me. I'd love to see that one day. Just go. I wish that had happened to Edgar Bergen. I wish that he had lived long enough for just one day he put down Charlie McCarthy and went, you know what? I can just be Edgar. And just be me. You know, Waylon too. I don't have to be Madam. Just be Waylon Flowers. You know? Say those things as me. And uh, who's the one, the racist one? Just say it. You don't need the racist puppet. Just you go ahead and say it. Say it to my face. Not with the puppet. So just be yourself. I think you ought to be yourself. I'm, But I hope that you know I'm beaming love out there. I love, oh, love and respect for all human beings. See, for me, being alive is such an amazing feat. Just an accomplishment. People don't think that. You go, oh, my life is nothing. You're still alive. Barely. Barely's enough, man. This is like horseshoes. Because, I don't know, fully alive that wears off. That's, you get that, I think is, you know, that wears off whether it's chemical or natural. Eventually you go, oh, back down to earth. They always say that, but earth's not so bad. And hopefully you get back down to it so much you'll be in it at some point. Just get absorbed into it. It's lovely, I'm sure. Not yet. Don't go yet. But it's so hard already. I know. But you haven't tried just being doing nothing yet I always like trying to go to Bartleby way first and just prefer I prefer not to I've found I I'm trying to think how old I was when I got I discovered I could just quit things oh my life I'm trapped I go oh I quit 
I know. Sometimes it brought on terrible hardship. But as far as like the just the freedom of, of knowing that I, I was I had a certain amount of control in my life. It's not great and there's not much power, but I, I can always run in a straight line in a field or something for at least a day. And that that's something. Some creatures don't even live that long. I was just talking to a friend about octopuses, octopus creatures and how they're smart and don't live very long. I go, this sounds like my people. And um, we had fewer limbs. Some of us did. Some of us, I don't know how many we had. Bless her heart, I don't know some of my father's relatives very well. It's amazing how many relatives are dead even by the time you get there. Isn't that crazy? No, that's how it is. I know, but I just think it's nuts. Like, if you look back, it's just kind of, it's kind of crazy. A lot of people don't know. Just a couple generations back, you know. How'd you get, who are they? No clue. No clue. Just got here. Everybody has, and you forget that, that you are surrounded by others who might not even know their grandparents or something. They're like, where are you from? I don't know. You just got here. And that's not bad or anything, but just to keep that in mind. Because a lot of times we think people have all the information or experience that we have. And I'm, for the most part, a lot of people are just, they just got there. And it's, they only know their neighborhood or they're part of the elephant. You only know the part of the elephant you're feeling. So, and then you extrapolate. So elephants flat like a pancake. And you can't blame anybody for their perspective like that. If they are around long enough and they keep groping, then the elephant will become more complicated and it'll, it'll start to take shape. Now keep in mind that you are surrounded. We're all groping an animal that's composed of many different shapes and textures and everything. What are you talking about? Oh, I'm talking about life. I'm going to break into song. Why are you so excited? I'm excited. I'm Periodically. I am when I feel like maybe that, that you and I are talking another human being that we're coming together we're making some kind of connection it's annoyance is it that's okay i don't care well i do well you would if you're the one being annoyed who's to say i'm not annoyed too but i'm not doing anything you can't even hear me i can't sounds i can hear you pretty well where i am this isn't me dude it's you talking to yourself is it because i'm getting a bit of an attitude from you um, my friend. Oh, oh, that's right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> the problem as a person that is like me, that's just speaking to an audience that they can't see, is a lot of times you use yourself as a surrogate for the audience. So you want to kind of anticipate what they may think. You say something stupid, you go, oh, I'm sorry. You probably think that's stupid. It's a self-awareness and you have to have it when you're communicating. And you should have it when you're communicating in person, too. The problem is when the audience is absent and it's just I standing in for you, I confuse us. And sometimes I might attribute some feeling or emotion to you that is false. Because it might be something I'm feeling that you might not. Because I know myself, maybe not better, but in a different way, in an excruciatingly intimate way, that you don't have to know me. Because you have an off switch, and you can tune out that I am always listening to this damn show. It's running 24 hours a day, and I'm, that's why I'm, I'm blessed with empathy, sympathy, manapapathapathy, 
paleopathy with you. For those of you who are like, oh, my brain doesn't stop. It's torture. Yes, isn't it? So just think of it as a very long show that you're being forced to listen to. It's just a radio that's on all the time. I find the way to the best ignore the voices in my head is to tell myself that I'm going to have to remember them because there's a test. Then I won't, uh, then it just turns into blah, 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 blah. Because there's a, the wonderful, lazy, self-loving side of me will step in and say, come on, let's order a pizza. Let's not do this. Let's step away. I, I, I love that. Do that. You're not a... This is probably a bad thing to encourage. And I have like, oh, you have a microphone. What would you tell the, what would you tell the world? People don't care enough. No, I think they care too much. I think you just ought to say nothing's going to, the world's not going to fall apart if I don't open my falafel stand on time. The world's not going to fall apart if this is happening. And I know it does if you lose your job, but I want to, you know, I'd like to normalize not being cruel and firing people and depriving them of their livelihood over trivial things. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? And I can picture it so I think it can happen. You know, if people are all cooperating and working with each other for a thing, they get much more enthused about it. You know, you, you can't ever force loyalty on somebody. It always backfires. So if you're being, if you're employing somebody and your attitude is they're expendable and everything, really all you're doing is inviting, you know, bad karma into your house. People, you're inviting people who don't like you right into your foyer. And why would you do that? You know, if you're going to have somebody come in, say we're on the same team. It's like, come into my house. These are my valuables. All right. Don't touch them. I know you're all thieves. <laughs> That's no way to treat the staff. And I think we can learn these things through um, 30s murder mysteries. Or maybe not. And listening to my music. The music you heard at the top, I was trying to do um, a fake Eggstone. It's a wonderful Swedish band. But I thought, I'll make a... All I have to do is be inspired by... So if I go s- set out to do something, and I go, I'm going to do kind of a parody, not a parody, in a, a homage to a song. I'm going to get it so wrong, it's going to sound original. So that's the, that's the approach I take on everything. It's like me trying to... This is a legitimate approach, by the way. You try to imitate something you're incapable of of imitating just the clumsy imitation sometimes comes out as brilliant and i try it you know try to draw draw a famous painting sit down there and really draw a famous painting or drawing especially if you suck but get everything in there get all the details everything because what will happen is the original composition is going to kind of shine through so you'll you'll get a composition and it'll have a uniformity of, of execution. It'll have a, a gestalt of uh, amateurishness, which, you know, you can't fake. So all your squiggly lines and everything, it's going to have that, you know, um, Dr. What's-His-Name, Dr. Dr. Katz, shaky line feel. I'm telling you, try it. You're going to like it. You're going to like the way you look at yourself. You're so proud. You're so proud of yourself. You did a thing. 
And also, you know, don't uh, do these wonderful things. Oh, here, oh, turn page. I got more notes. I'm sorry. I'm not telling you what to do. I was just trying to entertain you. That's why I did the theater, but nobody likes. I get letters all the time that say, Dear Hardy, thank you for not doing old, like radio theater. I hate, I hate that. There's a reason it's not on anymore. Everyone hates it. Don't do it. It's it's like barbershop quartets for theater or something. I don't know what it is. They're not bad either. No, but these are the people. This is not my opinion. These are the people that write me. Say, please don't do, don't do skits. Don't say the word skit. Don't do, don't say the word radio theater. Don't say the word old time radio. Don't say any of that stuff. Because that's not what we want. Because we had that. Right? We had that. Does anyone say, how many kids come up to you and go, you know, oh, boy, I, I, uh, I wish we had a, a Fred Allen now. You go, what? You're not even saying the right guy, right? So, yeah, I wish we did have a Fred Allen. But we don't. And that has been rejected. There's no modern baby snooks. Who's the equivalent, really? Is there an equivalent of baby snooks? Who's the new Joe Penner? You know, I think it's funny that uh, I just, this is an aside, because I don't know that I've said anything about Pee Wee Herman passing away. But Pee Wee Herman was like a much better Joe Penner. It's just a shame Joe Penner couldn't have been, because he made a lot of the same noises. Yeah. He did that, for sure. Went, uh, he went from this. Yeah, this. That is Joe. So Joe Penner does kind of like this. Which I know is not really Peter Herman, right? You want to buy a duck? <laughs> you nasty man! Right? So you probably saw him in cartoons or parodies of Joe Penner went on longer than Joe Penner. There's children toys in the shape of Joe Penner. He was real famous for like a year and a half and was in movies and on radio, maybe two years or something. But then, <laughs> bupkis, beans, nothing gone after that isn't that and he endures you watch those all like the cartoons we all came up with sometimes it's like oh well that one's a, I know that's Fred Astaire but who's that supposed to be and it's always like Joe Penner really? so uh, uh maybe uh, hello mother I guess that's kind of irritating but gosh I can't you know I came up in the 80s and 90s and irritating comedians were the thing it was really like if you could do a voice that was absolutely grating that was the ticket to stardom and yet you know i played that that frank fontaine record for you last week and it just so it's not always true try not to be drunk there's also there's the the frank fontaine is the jackie gleason I think the way Max Jacob is to Picasso. And that is that it, you were overpraised by your friend and you thought, so you think you're good. You know, you're brilliant. Maybe I am, you know. Jackie Gleason said I was, I was Picasso. And I think that can happen too. Oh, this is kind of semi-tragic. But I would, I would love that. If you are a... Right now, I'm speaking to you. If you're, 
a celebrity. I know if you're listening to this radio show and you're driving through New York City, you're probably mad, or you probably might be in New Jersey for all I know. So you're probably in a bad mood, but just don't switch that. Do you hear me out? Why don't you write or call me uh, and say, hey, you don't know me. My name is, and then you say, like, somebody that everybody knows. Super famous. And you go, um, I just want to let you know, you know, that you're probably the best. But And then you make something up. I don't care what it is. Best radio something, best. I won't believe funniest. Don't even try. That is that. That's going to be like, now you're BSing me. So say something more that I'm more likely to believe, right? That it has some kind of artistic component. So you say something like that. And then, you know, you will have used this celebrity, which is neither good nor bad. It's just a, a neutral, very powerful thing for great good. Because whether it's true or not, I'd be like, oh, you know, what? let's just say it's Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn! wrote me, which is a dream I had like 20 years ago, but that, that did not happen. Um, there's a, here's the thing, this is so pretty easy to, to imitate. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get, somebody's going to prank me. I, hope, I almost hope so. I hope I get pranked. So pretend you're all Sean and break my heart and then like, play it on your morning show. And then I'll cry. And then you can call me up and I'll be crying and begging you not to play it. I don't know. I'm always thinking about art. You go, isn't that dangerous for your psyche? Yeah, but like, will it work as a bit? Then I'm willing to go there. You can always get uh, therapized out of stuff. You know, just go ahead and do it. I like that. I'm going to see like a like jackass series of movies, but for really just emotionally reckless things. Whatever the whatever the whatever the emotional equivalent is of getting bit in your genitals by a snake. Do that. And then survive that. I know some kind of method actors that would have just been d destroyed by something like that. But I think it's a wonderful, that might be a fun thing. It's very sophisticated. I'm going to call, I have some friends in Sweden. I feel like they'd be up for that. Or Japan. You got to have a, you have to have a sense of light and dark, you know, and how they interact. Oh, my friends, I am so blessed to be with you and share another week of Miracle Nutrition on WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope 91.9 in Rockland County in New York City, New York, or online worldwide, WFMU.org. Oh, my goodness, thank you for tuning in, and I will. I will see you again next week.
mahogany, twins name was ebony, her name was 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 mahogany, twins name was ebony.